For those of you just about to listen to this episode of Brain Yapping, please be aware that it does contain some brief discussion regarding suicide and OCD. Uh, All very legitimate, but these subjects can be difficult for some people to deal with, so please be aware before you begin. Hello, I'm Rachel England and welcome to Brain Yapping, the podcast where comedian and actual qualified neuroscientist Dr Dean Burnett gets put through his paces with brain-related questions by me not a neuroscientist, without any advance warning or prior preparation, in a bid to demonstrate that science isn't always as slick as it seems. Okay, hello, Uh, welcome to Brain Yapping. That's... I keep forgetting that, didn't I? Yeah, you keep calling it brain flapping, yeah, which well, is not good for our brand. No, Dean. but that was seven years ingrained, that was, so <laughs> it will take a while to shift the old gears. Uh, hello, Rachel. How have we been since we last spoke? <laughs> well, I can't even remember when yeah. we last did this. That's um, an inside joke, because obviously people listening to this won't have a clue, but it's been about two months since we last recorded one of these. Yeah. Due to a technical snafu. Yeah, technical we, failure. Yeah. We finally arranged a day to do a good long session. We had two, we did two on the bounce, and it was... All went nicely, went smoothly. I listened back and 10 minutes into the first one, my microphone just balked completely. I had to send it off to get replaced. They said 10 to 14 days, eight weeks at least it was. Yeah. And uh, so I just bought a new one and uh, here, we bought, here we are using them, hopefully. Well, no, these ones are exciting because the, the previous ones were sort of fixed mm. table ones. These ones, they're handheld. I feel like a football pundit. Yeah, I think if you get yourself a nice Mac and a pair of headphones, this could be a... Questionable hat. Yes. I mean, no one's going to know that, but I would enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. As a look. It's <laughs> got to make the authentic feel. Yes, yeah. because I'm I'm known for my sports knowledge, as you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My enthusiasm as to whether or not Mel Streep was a professional footballer. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that, that, that would be an incongruous addition to our recording sessions, but what I would like. But it's fine. I mean, if you ever decide to make the leap out of neuroscience and do, mm. for example, football punditry then mm. you've got the kit you're I mean, ready to go put it on your cv have a, kit it's a small hop from one to the other isn't it it's not <laughs> yeah. really a it's not really you know there's not really much of a divide between those two worlds it's, uh, it's just saying words that other people don't understand basically well, I hadn't thought of that, but now you mentioned it, yeah, that is actually a very good <laughs> good point. Because I, I use that, actually, as an, as an analogy when someone says, you know about science, or you must be so like so smart, not like me. And I, it's, I guess it's flattering someone says that, but I disagree with it. Because many times it's happened, you oh, you must be, God, I can never do that. And the same person will then, two minutes later, reel off endless stats about Man U or Chelsea, wherever mm. they support. Like, going back 50 years, I think, well, you know, all complex stuff, which I cannot get my head around. So you can do it. It's just that because your chosen subject matter is more common, it seems like you're less intelligent, which isn't which isn't true at all. But that's just what anything is, isn't it? It's just accumulated knowledge, basically. Yeah, exactly. So just that my, my accumulated knowledge is in a less familiar area. Yeah. I'm not uh, upset about that. I mean, it's worked out well for me to have Obviously. more specialist knowledge, but... I don't like people think. Well, you you know stuff, so you must be clever. Like, you know but stuff too, but it's all it's all about what you know, isn't it? I mean, yeah. there are people out there that have like just an unceasing knowledge of stamps, for hmm. example, which is tremendous. How applicable it is to everyday life, hmm. how how well you can monetize it. Yeah, different to say somebody knowing a lot about football, and hmm. obviously there are a lot of opportunities for monetization there as well. So, you know, sure. yeah. we're all smart in our own way. Yes, that's good. Everyone's a winner. <laughs> Okay, so today, today yes. I want to talk to you about a subject that we covered several years ago, or whenever it was that we last did a <laughs> recording, which yeah. we have both forgotten about now. Yep. And that subject is intrusive thoughts. Right, okay. So I understand that there are lots of different varieties of intrusive thoughts, but the ones I'm kind of thinking about are probably best summed up with the 
lady cat bin incident that took place a few years ago. Oh yeah, that that was that was a weird week, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was oh, yeah. weird. When that, when that when that was yeah. the weirdest thing that happened in the news was yeah. that the lady was filmed on CCTV petting a cat and then shoving it into the nearby wheelie bin. <laughs> When that yeah. was the weirdest thing that could happen, and yeah. obviously in recent times, that was well, a scandal, that's wasn't it? Yeah. blown that out of the water. Um, but yeah, she obviously was absolutely reviled by the British public. Mm-hmm. You know, how dare she scoot this poor innocent creature into a bin and then just walk off and leave it? Yeah. And she later came out on record saying, "I honestly don't know why I did it. <laughs> I just suddenly felt like I had to." Hmm. And quite a few people, uh, you know could really understand and empathise with that sentiment. Mm. And I did as well, because I have a real issue when I am, for example, on a train platform. Mm-hmm. And I'm just stood there, minding my own business, waiting for the train. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, a little voice pops into my head that says, you could push somebody onto train tracks right now. Right, okay. Yeah, that's... You know? um, yeah. And enough. obviously, I don't act on it, but... Where is this voice coming from? I mean, just to be clear, it's not an actual voice. It's more of a, just like a sensation or an, an urge. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't feel like there's somebody talking to me. Um, but it's the same, you know, when I'm walking down the street and there's a dithering child in my way. And I think, you know, I could just punt this kid into the road. <laughs> not actually okay. going to punt the child into the road. Mm-hmm. But you just have this, or well, I just have this sudden little yeah. urge. So, you know, my own urge now is to deny that I have that and make you feel like you might be a psychopath <laughs> of like some sort. And that's gaslighting, which we'll be talking about at another I'm time. Sure we will, yes. <laughs> we already did. Did we talk about that? Oh, see? Case in point. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, but, um, so yeah, so what is that? Is that, is that we, like, wh- yeah, why so does that happen? Why? I mean, I, I'm a, you know, law-abiding, yeah. I try to be a decent person. You're vigilante. You're, um, you're more than law-abiding yeah. by most people's standards. I, I don't want to... enforcing. <laughs> punt children into the road or push people onto train tracks you do want to eat them occasionally well apparently we have, we've been only that. if they're very cute though i'm not sure that's a mitigating factor <laughs> i was stand up in court like but yes, why, so, I, yes i did devour the child but it was a cute one ah no not no a court in the land would convict yeah. me but no so why 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 is this and i know that i'm not alone in this no, because not, it's not, something not that i've spoken to other people about and some of theirs i mean i was actually talking to a friend about this the other day when i was in the kitchen uh, her kitchen she's got a large array of knives out her yeah. husband's a, a former chef and she was like you know sometimes i just think how easy it would be to just take one of those knives and stab him <laughs> and i just think okay she's like I, i'm not going to mm. but when i'm in the kitchen doing the washing up or whatever and i just see them i just think god it'd be so easy to just kill him or anyone who's in the house yeah that no i, I know you're not alone in this i mean it's a well-known phenomenon people talk about um i think the most classic example i've heard is not train platform but cliff edge like Next to a cliff edge, or if mm. you sit next to someone, I could just push them off. I mean, yeah. I, I could, they'd be dead, and I would be little effort on my part. Yeah, but you don't because basically, what do you gain from that? Well, I always get yeah. it if I'm, if I'm walking over a bridge or something, and I've got my phone in my hand. Mm. I just feel this sudden compulsion to just throw my phone over the bridge. Oh, yeah. I think, Why? I think I mentioned this before, but my friend Mike. Hi, Mike. Um, he did the New York New York Marathon, but yeah. I, I don't know if it was bad prep or just a bit of bad luck, but. Halfway across, he got a really bad blister and from one one of his trainers, and he's crossing the the Hudson, and just in a, pit, in a fit of fury, just took his trainer off and threw it into the river, with, <laughs> with half a marathon to go. Okay. So he had to run like half a marathon with one shoe and a much uh, worse blister. Well, presumably, exactly, yeah. I, think, I think he crossed the line, supported by two women with, with a walking stick, and oh, no. yeah. So that was one of those times when. But that was surely driven by. 
um, frustration yeah. and anger. I mean, when I'm walking across the bridge with my phone in my hand or I'm on a train platform, I'm, I guess I emotionally just feeling quite neutral. Yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah. I mean, so like, like you said with the cat bin lady, when she said, I can't explain why I did that. I, I totally believe that because what, what benefit do you have from putting a cat in a bin? I mean, how does that help your life in any way? Like, yeah. What do you gain from this move? Yeah. So it must have been just, like you say, a random intrusive thought, which she hopefully unusually acted upon. Um, the Well, there is some literature around this whole idea of intrusive thoughts. Like uh, there's a study about the white bear, as in take two groups of people mm. and put one group, just let them do what they want for an hour. And the other group said like, do you do this thing or whatever it is you make them do uh, but don't think about a white bear mm. and obviously as soon as you say that there's literally little else they can think of yeah. right because whereas normally they wouldn't have thought of it at all i listened to something recently um an interview i think ian Bolsworth show on about bbc presenters like a lot of them they're told you can't say that the queen has died even as a joke because if you do then the bbc will be stripped of the license or something because it's obviously it's the official broadcaster that's a huge deal mm. but like the guy said, but I, would, I had no plans to say the Queen has died. But as soon as you told me that, I just constantly stopped myself from saying the Queen has died. Even in once you put the idea in someone's head, yeah, it becomes an active process. Yes. So rather than just a passive forgetting thing, it becomes like you're not just not thinking about it. You're trying to stop yourself from thinking about it. But by doing that, you have to activate the whole idea, mm-hmm. and therefore it becomes a you know, an uphill struggle to and do that. And then your brain just completely malfunctions and you just blurting things out left right and center <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah and as is my understanding with intrusive thoughts is like it's a lot of it's linked with like the mental model of how the world works like oh we have a run-in simulation in our head a combination of all our experiences knowledge beliefs uh you know attitudes uh, suppositions predictions and so on this is like put together in a big blob of information which we use to guide our actions and decisions so if you encounter something new, if you go to a new restaurant, you don't freak out because you don't know what's going on. <laughs> You've been to depends a, how complicated well, yes. the menu is, I suppose. <laughs> it's one of those hipster ones, like where, where are the light shades? Yeah, <laughs> why is this being served to me in a shoe? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure it's a joke or that actually happened to you. Oh uh, no, I mean it's I believe feasible. it. I I utterly believe that that could be the case. I mean I've seen food served on spades before. Yeah, like, so we want plates. Can't yeah, that's it. Yeah, like some of them just go. You you have to work so hard to find something so elaborate to put some food in. Yeah, or deconstructed like spaghetti bolognese shoved together in a mason jar. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. there's a restaurant in Cardiff who did like a breakfast in a jar, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, you've got kids. I mean, it's not the sort of thing that they'd put together for you, given out yeah. the chance. Well, my daughter does quite often. Like, drink some milk from this watering can, I suppose. Yeah, you know, yeah. twenty quid in London that would be. <laughs> yeah. She's three. She doesn't know any better. <laughs> but she still demands the same amount of money. Weird. <laughs> But, but like that's a sort of you know idea in that you know how you have schemas and stuff things which like I know how this works I know this is a restaurant I know the etiquette here yeah I can go in I know either you go up to the counter and order or you they come to you but you, you have experiences your model of how the world works incorporates that and the example I always use is like you have a restaurant schema you have a swimming pool schema whereby if you go to a swimming pool you know what's expected what's allowed what to do like you know like, I wear my bathing costume and go in the water I mm. sit on this bed lounger or if it's an outdoor swimming pool or whatever but if you're in a restaurant and someone walks past you soaking wet in their underwear i think that that isn't right that's not meant to be here mm-hmm. unless it's an aqua restaurant again <laughs> an aqua qu- restaurant. <laughs> could happen or how about a poolside restaurant yeah that's probably more relevant yeah <laughs> and also exists <laughs> an in some form. <laughs> again hipster culture yeah, could I mean, happen that's not could, it could easily happen so like you have these ideas of how the world works but 
it's not just about um no experiences it's also your mind's constantly testing possibilities that's one thing humans can do our brains have the possibility to think ahead we can anticipate we can plan we can simulate and so whenever we're around like we we present loads of options we think well if i do this then this will happen if i mm. do this and this will happen so if you you can cross the road here and cross the road there if i cross the road here i might get by a car but i'll be 10 seconds earlier at my destination if i go over if i go down the road to a zebra crossing it might be slightly late but i'll be safer you you, you think well you anticipate what's going to happen. And all of these thoughts are happening at lightning speed and you, yeah, you don't even really register them consciously. Yeah, they fleet, they fleet in and out. Like, obviously, some of these options that you have aren't good. So, no. like, you have the option of drop kicking a child. I, mean, I said punt. Punt, okay, well... Softer. Is it? It's not quite... It doesn't sound as violent as drop kicking a child. But you still have the option of drop kicking a child. I mean, that's always on the that. table, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Up in the ante here for some reason. Um... So we, we, you have that, that, that's a possibility. The context in front of you, that, that is an option you have, purely in, in physical terms, like you know, that is something I could do right now. Now, societally, you know you don't do that. You know, like, that's just bad form. Uh, <laughs> bad form. Bad, poor etiquette. Just not playing cricket, <laughs> punting a child. <laughs> the old guy walks past, tatting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. That's just not on. Uh, I shall be writing a strict letter to the editor about this. <laughs> yeah. Dear sir, recently I saw a ruffian punt a child into the street. <laughs> what has become of society? <laughs> you, you consider the possibility, mm. but then all the outcomes of that are all negative, so you don't do it. Yeah. Usually. Anyway, so... Um, Is it like a kind of a, like a cathartic yeah. thought then? Because you, for example, on a train platform, I, I, I don't want to push somebody onto the train tracks, mm. but... My brain, I guess, as, as you were saying, you know, you, you're going through every conceivable um, outcome of literally everything all the time, just churning away sort of in the background. Mm. You know that obviously pushing somebody onto train tracks is not the thing to do. That's just a given. But perhaps your brain kind of, I don't know, not that it feels constrained by social rules, but mm. there is always that knowledge there that, it, that, like you said, it's not the done thing. So that sudden thought, that blip of, but you could just push them in front of a train. Mm you know, is like a kind of a cathartic release for your brain, just kind I of... I think that's what the well, that's what the evidence suggests it is, yeah. It's yeah. sort of like, it gives you sort of, knowledge is a too strong a term, because nothing actually happened, but it allows you to sort of vaguely experience the the sensation of, like, I I had that thought, I considered it, evaluated the option. So you have essentially acquired some new knowledge by running the simulation. So like I've said, right, I could do that. Now that I thought about it, that's actually bad yeah so i won't do that but i know not to do that now so like say before you hadn't thought about it or you have in this particular situation not with this particular person stood next to you mm. everything sort of becomes a novel in that sense so you're exploring a novel thought and that becomes satisfying the analogy i sometimes use is like you know you're, you're, you're not you're on an island you're exploring the, the terrain see what's where you come across like a wire fence and you approach it slowly, like, is that an electric fence? And you go close and you hear it humming. Oh, won't go down there then. So, But you know then not to do that. So that's mm. like added to your repertoire, added to your simulation. So you do have this uh, tendency to evaluate what's going on. And therefore, if something does happen, you also won't be as surprised. So like you won't push them in front of the train tracks. But if someone were to do that next to you, someone else did it. And then you're oh god, like you've you've almost got a sort of prior awareness. You you're not maybe totally surprised. Yeah, so, it's, it's yeah. interesting you say that actually, because when I lived in London, I did find myself, especially on the underground, um, always sort of 
kind of gent very gently consciously bracing myself mm. when a train uh, arrived in the tunnel, especially if it was busy. And I think that was born of the fact that I had those thoughts about, oh, maybe I'd push someone in front of a train. Mm. And so, as you said, have, having run that simulation, being aware that it's something that could happen and therefore taking sort of very minor precautions against it happening to me. So just sort of like, you know, standing in such a way that I couldn't get shoved in front of a train mm. or whatever. That's always been something I found in, especially in the rush hour. I mean, the fact that doesn't happen in that it's, it's such a crowd, such mm. a massive crush, but it's almost like weirdly self-disciplined, self-organising in that you know, no one just run, runs forward and shoves because we know that's not done. Mm. You know, there's danger to that. So, you know, it's nice to know that we, we have this sort of, everyone else has this limitation, this like cut-off switch tool to say to it's, not do that. Well, God, the world has actually sort of deteriorated to a point where we're like, hey, well, look, at least we're not just throwing each other onto the train <laughs> yeah, tracks, okay? We've got that going for us. Small mercies. Everything else is just an ultimate chaos fuck barn, but yeah. we're not flinging each other in front of trains yet. But yeah, then I guess yeah. there's also gradients as well of consequence, isn't there? Pushing mm. somebody in front of a train, punting a child onto the road is very serious. Um, smaller things, uh, for example, and I, I've mentioned this to you before, eggs. <laughs> okay. In the kitchen, making some eggs. And obviously they're delicate things, you know, relatively speaking, yeah. to like human strength. And they're designed to be sort of neatly cracked and, you know, turn into an omelette or whatever. Um, but I was stood there with this egg in my hand. And again, intrusive thought, just had this sort of uh, urge to just crush it in my palm. Mm. Um, and I did it. And I don't know why, because the second after, I was like, well, that was a waste of an egg, and now I've got a mess to clean <laughs> yeah. up. But obviously, somewhere in my brain, I was like, there's no real consequence from you mm. doing this other than a bit of mess. You know, no one's going to die. You're not going to prison or anything. So I guess is that sort of like a similar thing, but on like a much more pared back level? Yeah, I'd say that was. Like the example, the cat bin lady. Mm. If, if that part of her head goes, you can put the cat in the bin. And they say, ah, but and then the brain goes, ah, but. And it's like, file not found. I, I, I don't know what happens in this situation. <laughs> yeah, what happens I, in I, that? I guess, like, then, then in that case, I'll just do it then. The novelty value, just put the cat in the bin. Yeah. It's also a bit of muscle memory, putting things in bins. You know, like if you've put, left some rubbish on top of the bin, your outside bin, then you just walk past and put that in. Yeah, yeah. So, like, they, you know, that kicks in the, the whole, like, instinctive reflex. So I can see that would happen. And, you know, obviously the cat was fine, so... Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's not like she yeah. put it into a shredder. Yeah, you know, um, or, or or a flaming bin or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, there, there's a difference, and I guess yeah. that what, what must have gone through her head is, you know, I this is a thing I want to do. Mm. You know, there's no horrendous consequence from it. I mean, mm. I think if she'd known that she'd been filmed, and that's that, the thing in it now, she, it would, she obviously wouldn't have done it. <laughs> yeah, now everyone thinks, well, I go put a cat in a bin, but I'll be internet villain of the week for, yeah. as a result, and I don't want that, so yeah, yeah. I won't do it. So they probably have been. If if it was a common thing beforehand, I bet I bet the incidence of cats being put in bins after nothing was reduced in yeah, the week subsequent. Course. Yeah, because now because now we all know that that okay. So if you put an animal in a bin, you probably will get lambasted. People by, aren't fans of people by that put cats strangers. in bins. Yeah, yeah. You'll be on the news and everything. So yeah, so the, people can update their and understand how the world works to include that consequence. Mm. Yeah, but like if you're in your own home, uh, it's an inanimate object. I could just squash this, you know, like a crushed it then you now you realize oh now we've got a messy hand and one less egg but i but yeah. i did it are you happy now brain yeah. and the brain's just yeah. going cool well i know what happens now and i'm yeah. like you didn't know already before what was going to yeah. happen well, I think it, it reduces uncertainty to a certain extent and the brain always likes that anything uncertain 
completely. What, I, I what, know. Did, what did my brain think was going to happen? I was going to crush yeah. it and it was turn into a leprechaun. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. It probably it could be like a part of yourself going, "You're not going to do that." He said, "Don't worry about it." Like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess you are. Of course, slightly less. <laughs> oh no, in control. That's of your... a whole other tangent yeah. there, isn't it? Yeah. But there is some data which suggests that you know people have not to get you know, too blue with it, but too sexual fantasies. People have them all the time. And some data suggests they are actually quite healthy things to have because obviously, you know, if you're very sexually experienced, it's a, your first sexual encounter is a high risk scenario in terms of you could be easily humiliated, this could all go horribly wrong. Mm. It's an extremely vivid experience. So sexual fantasies sort of do help take the uncertainty away a bit. So what if, what if this happened? And then what if I, we're in bed? And then what if Angelina Jolie comes in? And like, well, Unlikely, but you know, if she does now, I guess you prepared. <laughs> At least I know what's going to happen. Yes. Finally. Yeah. This is what I've been training for. <laughs> exactly. Long have I dreamed for this day. <laughs> they told me I was mad. <laughs> Interesting how I was talking about crushing eggs and you jumped from that to sexual fantasies. Egg kink. Yeah. Well, there's no overlap not, there. not, not judging. Not for me there's to judge. There's no overlap there, you know. It is a reproductive object, the egg, so... Uh, yeah, that's yeah. true. I hadn't, hadn't thought of that. No, see, but mine... There you go, that's obviously... Exactly. You've, that's what... you've prepared that scenario in your head before. <laughs> yes, yeah, so Rachel mentioned eggs today. Oh, I'm... Okay, so <laughs> that all makes sense. My question now, then, is if all of our intrusive thoughts are basically us sort of planning or, you know, um, practicing scenarios <clears> in our head, <throat> and... <clears throat> The ones that involve things that are, have big consequences, such as, you know, violence against other people or, you know, more immediate personal consequences, such as chucking your phone over a bridge into water. Mm. Okay. And you earlier mentioned how nice or how, you know, how good it is that at least, you know, we will have this element of um, restraint and discipline on the tube yeah. line, on the tube tracks. Within right? reason, obviously. Within reason. Does that mean then that... Should there be an increasing number of incidents where, say, people are being pushed onto train tracks, hmm. people are lobbing their phones over bridges or whatever, and it just becomes more of a social norm? Does that mean that our brain then interprets these intrusive thoughts differently? So, for example, oh, I could push someone in front of the train. Okay, well, that's right, because like, that happened 10 times this week already. Hmm. Consequences aren't so high. Therefore, the likelihood of us actually maybe acting on that impulse is much higher. Hmm. And therefore we have more people acting on their intrusive thoughts therefore this you know society becomes a slightly more violent and unhinged place mm. quite possibly i mean the, the cultural influence is a big part of that because your idea of what counts as a social norm like mm. the consequences are based on the culture around you the social norms like an intrusive thought for like a devout jewish person would be eating pork mm. now that's not an intrusive thought for me because like if i want pork i can go get some pork yeah so therefore it's not an issue but you know if you were about Jewish person presented with pork, think I could eat this. I, no one's going to know. I would experience something new. You're, you're completely devoutly religious, and you, know, you believe wholeheartedly that you won't do it because the consequences therefore are eternal damnation and, yeah. and so on, which and is probably bad big, yeah. you know, for, for a bacon sandwich. Until that went middleman, I suppose. But um, <laughs> but it is you know, it's a, but like that influences how you perceive this thing. But it's also like the whole hierarchy thing of if I do this thing, this is something most people can't do. But I could get away with it. So that means I'm sort of better than the people. I, I have this experience no one else has. So like I've learned something, I've experienced new sensations. I am technically higher than uh, my peers. Mm. So like, like yeah, I would like um, torture porn and stuff like that thing. Like we are, I think we are intrinsically intrigued by bad stuff happening to the human body because you can sort of see how that would evolve in that, right, I, I know that happened to me, 
but I know what happens now if you fight a bear. You know, <laughs> I, 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 nothing happened to me, but it happened to that guy. Yeah. So now I know that. You know, I'll, I'll avoid that, but now I, I have more knowledge about the consequences of bear fighting. Is it like a visual verification then? Because, I mean, you could probably explain to a child, is it a good idea to fight a bear? And they'd be like, well, no, because it will hurt you. No. But does your brain actually need to sort of see evidence of that for it to go, yes, I absolutely know that that is not a good thing to do? Yeah, the brain does tend to prioritise stuff with high emotional or sensory valence or intensity. You can be told day in, day out, weeks on end, like the, the negative consequences of a bad diet. High-calorie foods, trans fats, they clog up your arteries. Like, you know, five, ten years' time, you have poor heart muscle and you will be ill and diabetes. Mm. And You can hear all that all you want, yeah. like, delivered in dry academic tones. But someone says, would you like some pizza, like triple cheese? I'm like, oh, yeah, I do, actually. I know that's nice. I've had that before. That, that's very pleasant. So I do want that, even yeah. though I know... In the conscious sense, in the abstract sense, this is a bad idea. Mm. Sensory and emotionally, I know this is an enjoyable thing to do, so I'll prioritize that. Mm. And you know, you get also you know, anything bad that happens to other people, like in a sort of bloody gory sense, it's very stimulating to get really quite. A lot of people get a real thrill out of it, yeah. yeah and I've, I guess that's why franchises like Saw or whatever do yeah, so well. Exactly. It's like, but it, it's also it's always in a safe context too. So you're in the cinema watching Saw, you're seeing horrific things happen to mm. human bodies. So you've got all that visceral stimulation and, you know, quote-unquote awareness of what happens in this situation. But mm. also you, there's a part of your mind that's like, I'm still in a cinema. This is all, this is all, I could leave any time. Yeah. So you have a sense of control too. Yeah. But, you know, the cultural thing of, you know, like, you know I, I'm from Bridgend and to make up a sense of subjects, the... Um, the Bridgend suicide spate mm. of the 2000s, like my family was involved in that. You know, but the whole thing of the bad media reporting, like stop glamorising, stop making it look, look quote-unquote cool. Yeah, yeah. It spreads and people think, well, that's socially acceptable. That's a cool thing. Look at all the intention they get. Look at all... Yeah. Yeah, and that... Because it did, it really did glamorise yeah. and romanticise it, yeah. you know. and that obviously was, media was rightly condemned for all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But you can see how that could, you know, if you weren't in this culture where that was a thing, you thought, well, I'll do something bad and oh, it's, it's okay because this happens a lot now. Yeah, I personally have constantly blamed Simon Cowell for the downfall of Western civilization. <laughs> not him personally, but yeah, well, actually him personally, but not just him, but the whole... The Simon Cowell influence. Yeah, glamorising cruelty. Look at this person with their dreams. Let's mock and destroy them for public entertainment. Yeah. And I do think, you know, the whole legitimising of unpleasant, vile behaviour and, and should not be encouraged, but... That's just my personal view, of course. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, that's ultimately my question, I suppose, is that if, you know, I, I keep going back to the train tracks example, but if yeah. that sort of behaviour just becomes increasingly common and sort of legitimised, then, you know, your brain is less likely to interpret it as a bad thing mm. because you have it, to shift to perspective, yeah. it, it plays into this sort of everyday transcript of society and human values and your brain's like, yeah, well, this is a thing that happens. Mm. There probably are plenty of things like that now. I mean, that Simon Amstel film about um, you know, 100 years' time when veganism is the norm. Yeah, yeah. And the thought of eating an animal is just, like, abhorrent yeah. uh, as a social thing. Now, it's, it's normal things. But, yeah. like, a few hundred years ago, of course I got a slave. Who else got a slave these days? You know, that, you know the idea of owning someone and beating them now is hopefully disgraceful. It makes you think that that would never be a good idea. But Well, I mean, all, all we can hope for then is that it moves 
in the right direction mm. and that it is the case that in a hundred years time you know we are taking a more mindful approach to the world and not going the other way where in a hundred years time it's just all about killing each other and pillaging villages because yeah. that's just what everyone's doing yeah well, which to be honest yeah. give, given the, the global yeah. landscape at the moment <laughs> yeah not too far off yeah but we have done that before like you know got bored of that eventually yeah. i suppose there was like the whole pillaging era of human civilization and it you know it ended so well, also, you got the whole young and old generation too, like the young people now are really embracing socialism and communism, mm. which back in like the 50s in America, for example, that would have been, you know, you are yeah. a prior socially and entertaining the notion of oh, maybe socialism is good, proper social taboo. And now it's like trendy in the younger circles. So a lot of the intrusive thoughts that we've sort of mentioned thus far then are, are kind of hinged around social norms. Can be, yeah. yeah. Um, but obviously there's, a, there's another kind of intrusive thought. Um, which are, I think, probably quite prevalent in people that have obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah. Mm. And so these intrusive thoughts aren't necessarily something bad, like push someone off a train track or punch no. a child or throw your phone off a bridge. But, for example, the constant idea that I left the oven on mm. or did I turn the lights off or, you know, I need to lock my door twice. That's a different kind of intrusive thought. Yeah. And actually there is... Some research which shows that some this might be down to a fault, quote unquote fault, you know, because is that meant to be that way? That's neuroscience for you. In the endorphin system, because you know we know endorphins as like those extremely pleasurable chemicals which the you know, heroin and other opiates act on that system. So they are really um, powerful. Like they do provide a lot of really stimulating effect. But there's some evidence suggests that at the, at the low level, at the everyday level, what they do is sort of allow you to feel reward because like a thought has been completed right so like, you go from one like, like like i said about fleeting thoughts like intrusive so i thought of that i assess the outcomes and then when that happens like the endorphins didn't go okay tick that's done leave, sure. leave that go yeah and that's so when you start thinking about it a lot that's when you know, the endorphin system doesn't work it doesn't say done because you're still dwelling on it over and over again but with the ocd some evidence suggests that the endorphin system doesn't work quite as well so it's a lot, a lot harder for them to say, tick, done. And it sort of keeps going and going and going. But the more you think about it, as we said, the more active it becomes. So it's like it becomes a self, it becomes a positive feedback of, okay, did I turn the light off? Yeah, I must have done. No, did, did, did I? I'm sure I did. Did I? No, no, I'll check again. But then that, that whole, that system where the brain goes, okay, done that, move on. Yeah. That, is, that doesn't work as well. And as a result, you get stuck in that you know, constant compulsive loop and tendency. It's like like when you're cleaning, you think, right, this is clean. I'm done now. This is a this is a clean room. Mm. If that the brain if the brain can't say that's enough, then you won't stop. You'll just keep going and going and going. And to leave it undone is a real wrench. So you say that it's this this sort of element of intrusive thought is you know down to endorphins. Is that the sort of thing that is typically managed with medication or therapy or talking exercises I mean, any, any or all really i mean i think that's just one aspect of it. anything in the brain it's anything at the fundamental level you know, one little glitch then can snowball and it's like mm. a, like an oxybilin pill on a grit just layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer then you have to crack through it or re, 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 readjust it so yeah as far as i know there are you can have medications for um, OCD, but but then because it causes a lot of anxiety, yeah. So you have anti-anxiety medication, or it causes a lot of um, stress, or it can be quite obviously cause serious mood problems because <laughs> you're stuck in this endless loop of repetitive behaviour. And um, but that's just one manifestation of OCD, of course. There are yes. plenty of ways. So it's an anxiety disorder overall. 
so yeah, there are medications, talking therapies. It's, it really depends on how it's, how it's manifesting. But the upshot, essentially, though, is that the intrusive thoughts that we were discussing at the beginning of our chat just now, you know, again, the child punt, those sort of things are relatively normal. <laughs> That's the name of this episode. The, the, the child, child punt. punt. <laughs> <laughs> but that, those, those sort yeah. of thoughts are relatively normal. Yeah, they're well, not really cause for concern. I, I would, I think most would argue they're actually quite healthy because it shows that you're aware of negative actions mm. and their outcomes, and you don't act on them. So I think people overlook that a lot. Like think, oh, I had this bad thought. I must be a bad person. No, you had a bad thought, and then you decided not to go through with it, and you realise it was bad. Yeah, that's as that's as valid a part of your psyche as as, as the bad thought itself. So you know, cut yourself some slack. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, but then the other, another kind of intrusive thoughts when we mentioned about the ones that are associated with OCD. Mm. Um, if anybody finds themselves dealing with those, it might be worth talking to somebody about that. Yeah, definitely. Well, if you get to the point where they're quite debilitating, mm. you, can, you can tell the difference between a fleeting thought like, because it's, it's sort of passive. Like I say, you're on a train platform, I can push that person off. But I won't. I mean, not today. Yeah, you're not going to sit there all day, no, on the train journey, three hours to London, thinking, oh, I could have pushed them off. <laughs> yeah. What if I pushed them off? Like, they could be dead now. I mean, oh. Depends you know, how annoying they are. Well, like, I suppose. Yeah, Depends if they were listening to music without yeah. earphones. Of course. Then, then, obviously, you push them off, then the train, 10 minutes late, 20 minutes late, and it's really awkward then. They just sat there on the, on the train track and staring at you, <laughs> giving you evils. But I've made my point. <laughs> yeah, like, well, this didn't go according to plan for any of us. <laughs> But I've made you think twice about playing music without headphones. Haven't yes, I? well, that, at the end of the day, let's let's say that is a valid outcome for attempted murder. Yeah, sure, why not? And I think most people would agree with me, to be honest. Yes, of course. Or they think about agreeing with you and then stop themselves. <laughs> because it's just a fleeting thought and it doesn't make them a bad person. No. Cool. Thank you very much, Dean. No problem, Rich. If you'd like to read the Brain Up in blogs, go to cosmicshambles.com forward slash blogs where you'll find Brain Yappin, plus lots of other exclusive science blogs from the likes of Helen Chesky, John Butterworth, Susie Gage, Ginny Smith, and others. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do share it on social media, give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, as that does really help us out. If you'd like to support the show and everything we make at Cosmic Shambles, you can pledge via Patreon for as little as $1 a month. There's lots of great reward tiers available too. Go to patreon.com forward slash bookshambles, or follow the links from cosmicshambles.com. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network.